If you have a Bible, you can open to Jonah. We'll look at chapter 4. The text is also in the bulletin there on the next page. Um, you know, I love the book of Jonah. It's one of my favorites. Uh, we could easily have spent several more weeks going through uh, this book together. But here we are, just four short weeks in the book of Jonah. Uh, and now we're at the end of it. And it's a beautiful ending. Uh, basically, uh, Jonah talks about how big a jerk he's been. <laughs> And uh, by contrast, really, he's talking about how wonderfully God, uh, gracious God is. Uh, he highlights God's compassion here in this chapter. In contrast with his own lack of compassion, uh, somehow, by the time that he came to tell this story, to transmit it to others, to preserve it in writing, he's probably the one who wrote this, we would imagine, uh, Jonah had become free by that time uh, to portray himself as the villain. He's free to throw himself under the bus whenever he's able to tell this story, in order to proclaim the excellencies of God's mercy and love. And that's a miracle. I mean, who wants to tell a story like that? Who wants to tell a story where, where I'm the villain? Uh, it happens a lot in the scriptures, actually. <clears throat> but, uh, but so much of this book is about Jonah's self-righteousness. And it would be really hard for self-righteous people to portray themselves as the villain of any story. <laughs> Right? No self-righteous person could ever have written such a devastating critique of himself. But Jonah is free to do that. He's free even, I think, to laugh at himself in light of God's grace. He's free to invite others to laugh along with him. And that's actually an amazing evangelistic tool that we all have at our disposal. Uh, this, this book can be something of a blueprint for our testimony, right? A, a, a manual for giving Christian testimony. Because we don't proclaim ourselves. We don't magnify our own goodness. We proclaim and magnify the goodness of God, and what better way to do that than by contrast with our own badness? God loves sinners. Sinners mean us. And Jonah makes that abundantly clear to the glory of God. So that's what we'll talk about this morning as we read uh, and consider Jonah 4. So let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, we pray that the truth and grace of your word would be heard and accepted and believed and understood and that we would be transformed by your word in our relationship with you. Please give us your spirit's help now to that end. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to start at the last verse of chapter 3. When God saw what they did in Nineveh, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of that city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant 
and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> Thanks be to God. <laughs> uh, so here's the key to the whole book of Jonah. Uh, the part that sheds light on everything that's happened earlier, the part that we've had to reference on our way through the earlier chapters in order to be able to understand them rightly. Uh, Back in the beginning, God had told Jonah to go to Nineveh, to the city of his enemies, to preach against it because of their evil. The Ninevites had provoked God's anger, and they needed to hear about that, God God considered. Uh, So, but but Jonah refused. He ran in the opposite direction. He's trying to flee from the presence of God himself, uh, trying to escape God's call on his life. Ultimately, he's unable to do that. Uh, Even his mess of a story uh, ended up serving God's call on his life in the end. Uh, But here, at the end of the book of Jonah, we have Jonah's reason. It's his reason for running from God in the first place. He knew that God would spare Nineveh in his mercy, and he hated that idea. It made him so angry. The word angry shows up here lots of times in this chapter. Uh, He resents God's grace. I mean, he might like it for himself, as is seen in the case of the shade plant, uh, you know, saving him from the heat, from terrible heat. Uh, But he can't tolerate God being gracious to his enemies. He can't tolerate God being gracious to bad people who don't deserve God's forgiveness, as if he did deserve God's favor. Jonah might have been happy in a relationship with God before this. He might have been even proud to be known as God's prophet, but not if God's going to be gracious and merciful to his enemies. Probably because it implies that God is gracious and merciful to him. And he would rather be the hero of his story than the villain, needing God's mercy. We're not exempt from that. uh, It's it's a self-righteous impulse. We're not exempt from that impulse, that self-righteous impulse in the church, a lot of times, uh, we can be miserable. We can be so miserable because we wish we could be good enough. We wish that it worked that way. We wish we could be good enough to think of ourselves as heroes rather than villains. We get stuck on our own sinfulness. We get obsess over the things that we've done wrong and actually prefer not to receive God's grace and mercy sometimes because really deep down, we wish our own righteousness, we wish our own goodness was enough. But that's how it worked that our goodness could be enough, and we just stew over it. That self-righteous impulse leads us actually to hate God for his grace. That's what made Jonah really angry, Uh, because, uh, but it's precisely because of his grace then that, uh, that God would not let Jonah escape. 
So Jonah goes to Nineveh uh, because God basically compels him to. Uh, He preaches this message. He sees the Ninevites begin to repent at least before he leaves town. He knows that God wouldn't be visiting them in the judgment that they deserved. And so he stomps out of the city to sulk, maybe in the bitter hope that at the end of the 40 days, right, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown, maybe in the bitter hope that at the end of that time, God actually would find reason to destroy the city after all. Why else would he go outside the city to wait and see what happens to the city? He stomps out in the wrong direction, for one thing. I mean, it's a minor point, probably. Um, uh, He goes to the east of the city, it says. The east, as if to say that uh, whatever happens here, he has no plan to return home to Israel, to God's people, to God's presence, (laughs) right? He's gone out the wrong way. It also sort of recalls the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve were excommunicated, they were put out of the garden to the east, And so it's sort of a reminder that Jonah is casting himself out of God's presence. He's removing himself from the scene of God's reconciling work, which is happening right now in this city. God and the Ninevites, they've been reconciled. Think think of all the things, possible and impossible. This is the most impossible thing you can imagine for a city full of bad people like this to be reconciled with God. Well, they have been. But Jonah couldn't be reconciled with God, at least not yet. He still wants to see what might become of the city. But uh, he would like to keep the focus on the city, but the focus has shifted now to him. The focus of the story is on him and his relationship with God. So it says that it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. So literally, that's uh, it was evil to Jonah, a great evil, and he burned. Right, so let's just say uh, if you feel a burning sense of moral indignation toward God because of his love for other people, that's probably not a good sign. Right? Uh, Jonah was not angry at God for God's righteous judgments. Jonah was not angry at God for the idea of hell. Jonah was not angry at God for claiming divine lordship over his life. Jonah was not angry at God for the existence of suffering or whatever people usually complain about when they complain about God and angry at God for these things. He was angry at God for his mercy toward bad people. And we frequently see people like this in the Gospels when the self-righteous religious people who uh, think that their souls are well and therefore they have no need of a physician uh, who think they don't need God's grace. They're so angry. They're so angry at Jesus for partying with bad people, sinners and tax collectors. Does he know who these people are? Why is he spending time with them? They're so angry at Jesus, they're angry enough to kill Jesus or to kill others who talk about Jesus' mercy. People can be murderously angry at the Lord because of his grace. We're supposed to be able to identify with that. We're supposed to be able to identify, actually with Jonah, He's one of God's people. He's a leader among God's people, right? He's a prophet who speaks on God's behalf, and we can identify with Jonah because he's the bad guy in the story. We can identify with the guy who knows God truly and still has serious problems with God. We can identify with that, if we're honest. 
So Jonah says, I knew you would be gracious to them. Just kill me now. But God works to connect with Jonah. The story doesn't end with Jonah dying. God works to connect with Jonah in spite of the fact that Jonah is so angry with God. So when Jonah camps outside the city, hoping for some fireworks, right, he sets up a booth for some shade. So he already has some relief from the sun. Says that. He's already sitting in the shade. Maybe it's hot, but he's in the shade. But God providentially appoints a plant to provide some little further relief and comfort, right? To save him from his discomfort, it says in verse 6, to save him. So where Jonah had been exceedingly angry about the dramatic salvation of Nineveh, you get the same kind of language. He becomes exceedingly glad about his very own, his, his own very minor salvation. Uh, but God wasn't interested in just making Jonah comfortable, helping him survive a hot summer day or whatever. Uh, <clears throat> he worked to really connect with Jonah, to confront Jonah with the reality of their relationship. That's what God does when he makes things uncomfortable for us. He's trying to connect with us and bring us uh, to confront us with the reality of our relationship with him. So verses 7 and 8, God providentially appointed a worm to kill the plant so that it withered. And God providentially appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. So now he's in a bad mood, right? God's brought him to a place where he's in an even worse mood probably than he was before uh, and reminded God, Jonah reminded God that he still preferred to die. And thus begins the final glorious conversation of the book. God set up this conversation. God made Jonah miserable so that they would have this little chat. Because God, in his grace, wanted to connect with Jonah. God wanted Jonah to embrace his grace, to celebrate his grace, and to herald his grace, to be excited about it. God isn't just being mean here with Jonah. He's not playing a cosmic game of cat and mouse, just toying with Jonah. He won't let Jonah get away from his mercy. This is the the least likely person in the world to receive God's mercy, and God won't let him get away from it. This is a common way for God to connect with us. There are probably points in each of our lives when we recognize that God's made us miserable, but he's done so in order to connect us with his grace. He will reveal his compassion to us. And honestly, once he's set his sights on you, there's nothing you can do about it. Psalm 23, uh, we sing it often. The last verse of that psalm uh, is something of a prayer to God that his goodness and mercy shall pursue me all the days of my life. Sometimes we feel that's a good thing. (laughs) Sometimes that makes us miserable that he's pursuing us in mercy like this. We often laugh together at the idea that the only reason we're members of the church at all is because we've failed in all of our attempts to get away from Jesus. That's what we're trying desperately to do, and he won't let it happen. That's what's happening here with Jonah. Jonah tried to get away, but God chased him down, and he drew him out, and he asks him, do you do well to be angry for the plant? This is a question that exposes Jonah's self-righteousness at one level, because Jonah is still obsessed with being right over and against whatever God does in his sovereign mercy. Do you do well to be angry for the plant? Yes, I do well. Right? Yes, I'm right to be angry. 
He's trying to justify himself in his anger for the plant. God responds, it seems like a pretty small thing, Jonah, (laughs) right? Uh, To be so upset about a little plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow. Jonah didn't have much invested in the plant. But even his selfish love for the plant made him angry when it withered. Right? So the implication here is that it should be obvious. Right? It, should, it should obviously be right for God to pity Nineveh, a city full of very bad people who don't know what they're doing, don't, don't know their left hand from, from their right, because God had labored over them in creating them. God had made them, and God sustains their life. He keeps them alive, and they're important right, to him. That it should be obvious that it's good for him to be uh, to pity Nineveh. And if maybe, you know, Jonah couldn't resonate with the people of Nineveh, at least he pitied the plant, maybe he resonates more with the cattle part. So maybe that's why God throws that in there. Uh, I think it's pretty funny. <clears throat> Right? Maybe you can resonate. Maybe I should save the city at least for the cattle, right? You care about plants. Um, but the remarkable thing about this conversation is that it's even happening at all. God is engaging with Jonah, asking him about his anger. Maybe it's not the most comfortable experience for Jonah, but when God makes us uncomfortable, he does it for our good. So God brings Jonah to this point of anger over the plant, and he asks him about it. And Jonah responds, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And yes, this exposes the silliness of Jonah's anger, that he's like a child throwing a tantrum who can't stop being angry, even though now the only thing he can be angry about is a plant, right? Uh, But ultimately, it's not about the plant. Ultimately, it's about God. We understand that Jonah is angry at God. And ultimately, God doesn't expose that anger just to chasten Jonah, but to teach him about his grace. Because basically, God does not say, hey, stop being angry about the plant. He doesn't say that. He doesn't criticize Jonah's anger for the plant. He draws a connection between Jonah's anger and his own compassion. Right? So Jonah's angry for the plant. And God says in verse 10, it's because Jonah pities the plant. He's angry for the plant because he pities the plant. Jonah's pity has led him to great anger, and God argues, well, if it's right for your pity to lead you to great anger about this plant, if it's right for you to be angry for the plant in your pity, it's right for me to pity, to have compassion on Nineveh. If the pity of a sinner leads to this kind of anger, Jonah over the plant, then what should the tremendous and holy pity of God lead to? Can we even imagine it? If Jonah's angry enough about the plant to die... What should God's compassion lead him to do about sinners? We have that question answered to some degree in Nineveh, right? God's pity led him to spare the lives of these very bad people. But we have the ultimate answer in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jonah, Jonah was angry because of God's grace. Angry enough to die. Jesus shows us that because of God's grace... God also is angry enough to die. We read about God's 
pity-driven anger in our gospel reading, which Brian read for us this morning. John 11, when Jesus comes to see his friends, Mary and Martha, whose brother Lazarus has died and been in, uh, in the tomb in the grave there for a couple days, it says that Jesus was greatly troubled and twice that he was deeply moved, it says in that passage. Uh, Rodney Whitaker is a commentator. He says that a better translation would be that Jesus became angry in spirit and very agitated. Jesus was moved with compassion in his guts. He was troubled. He was boiling with a mix of sorrow and anger at the death of his beloved friend and the effects of death on the people that he loves. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, was angry at sin and death. He was angry at the misery and the fear and the pain and the separation of sinners from God that exists because of our sin. He was angry at the reality of these things in the lives of the people he loves. He was angry in his pity. He was angry because he loves. He's angry because he is compassionate and gracious and merciful. Angry enough to rip Lazarus out of the grave's grip. Angry enough to restore his life and restore him to his loved ones. Angry enough to go to the cross and kill sin in his own death. And then to kill death in his own resurrection. Angry enough to give himself for our sake. Angry enough to win us back to himself in his grace. Angry enough to die so that he could be the resurrection and the life for us. Jonah got angry enough to die because of God's grace. God also got angry enough to die because of his grace. In his holy pity, he was angry for us. For withered sinners. For ruined sinners. And his anger led him to do something about it, to redeem us, to restore us. So because of Jesus, you can believe that God gets angry because he loves you. Not because he hates you and wants to see you dead, even if you've sinned against him. Second Peter chapter 3 says, He doesn't wish that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So God works to keep the conversation going, to connect with you so that you would embrace and celebrate and herald his grace. God worked to connect with Jonah in this way, and the conversation dramatically ends here with this question, shouldn't I pity sinners? Shouldn't I have compassion? And the implicit question really there is, uh, or one of them anyway, is shouldn't you love sinners too? And that's a deep challenge to Jonah's self-righteousness. It's very similar to the parable that Jesus tells about the two lost sons or the prodigal son parable as it's commonly uh, referred to. Uh, Similar to that parable, which Jesus tells to an audience of self-righteous religious people, people who struggle with Jonah problems. In Luke 15, the older son in this parable, he does everything right. He's a little goody two-shoes. Right? He's very compliant, and he begrudges the father's mercy toward the younger son who went off the rails and blew everything and exploded the relationships, and he's really, really a rebellious sinner, right? And the good, compliant older brother begrudges the father's mercy to him. When the younger son comes home, the father humiliates himself by running out to him and embracing him and throwing a party, a big, lavish party, to celebrate his son's return. But the older son stomps out and he sulks outside the party 
And he cites his own compliance and how it wasn't fair that his brother got such special treatment from their father. It wasn't right. And the parable ends with the father saying, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And the implicit question to the older brother is, shouldn't you love your brother's salvation too? Shouldn't you want to come into the party with us? Shouldn't you be glad and celebrate when God loves other sinners, your brothers, just like you, and spares them the condemnation that they deserve and welcomes them into eternal joy? Are you going to sit out here and sulk, be angry at God's mercy, or are you going to come inside and join the party? That's how the parable ends with the most important question posed to self-righteous people everywhere, and that's how the book of Jonah ends, leaving us hanging with this question. Isn't it good that God is gracious and merciful? We can believe that Jonah came ultimately, eventually, to celebrate God's grace because uh, that's clearly what he's proclaiming here in this book of his. But the real question isn't just about him, right? It's about us. It's about you. Do you think it's good that God is gracious? Do you want to celebrate and be glad of his salvation? Has his mercy undermined your self-righteousness? Are you willing to join the party that he's throwing in his love for sinners? Do you approve of God's compassion toward really bad people? Because at the end of the day, uh, in the end of every story, there are only bad people in this world. That's the only kind of person that we can identify with. Even those who think of themselves as good, moral, religious, deserving people who can't stand to think of themselves as bad people, it's just, it's just bad people in this world. That's what God says. But there is a God who pities and forgives bad people, who was angry at the sin that separated us from himself, angry enough to die. Should he not have done that? Let's pray. Father, as hard as it might be for us to admit, we don't deserve your favor and we never will, but you have showered your favor and your love upon us in your beloved Son, Jesus, and in your Holy Spirit poured into our hearts. It's hard for us to believe that you wouldn't be angry at us for our sin, but that you say you're angry for us because you love us and you want what's best for us. We've been the villains, and you the only hero, and yet you have loved us and not let us escape your mercy. So please help us to to embrace your mercy and your grace, to celebrate it, and to herald it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.